Lionel Productions. Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, episode 76. In this episode, I sit down with Peter Kelly. So Peter teaches in the Built Environment Engineering Technology Program, and they are offering a high-flex model that emphasizes flexibility. Now, this new format allows students to choose between online, face-to-face, or a combination of those to support their learning. It's an interesting approach and one I think that we need to give more attention to as we move down this road called education. Sit back, relax, enjoy. We'll catch you on the other side. Three, two, one. Hey everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you tuned in for this episode number 76. And I have with me a very special guest from a neighboring province, the province of Alberta, right from Medicine Hat College. Yes, Medicine Hat College. It seems to be on the forefront of a lot of great things happening lately. And we have Peter Kelly from Medicine Hat College. Peter, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much. Um, Looking forward to having a chat with you here. Okay, yeah, me too. Peter, uh, I first uh, kind of bumped into you online in the LinkedIn world and um, was following along with you as you were uh, uh, sending out information and, and kind of your 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 uh, early learnings about something that has come across everyone's plate recently because of this uh, situation that we're in. And that is high flex learning. But before we dive into that, Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background and what brought you to Medicine Hat College. Yeah, so I came originally via Ottawa. So I'm from a little town outside of Ottawa called Manitick. And I did my undergrad or most of my undergrad at Carleton U. And at some point near the end, I drove my parents nuts, but I was about two classes short of finishing. And I moved to Banff for a summer to, to go play in Banff. And then got sidetracked in a hotels career for, for a few years. And so I was originally studying history and theory of architecture at Carlton U and followed a path of opportunity in the, in the hotels for, for a while. So I spent five years at the Banff Springs Hotel and the Rimrock Resort Hotel in Banff before um, deciding to kind of move back in the architecture direction. I kind of, it took, a few years and you know uh, hotels was fun learned a lot but it wasn't quite for me and in that time i uh, met my wife miranda and we got married uh, in that time when i was working at the rimrock and she was very supportive of my decision to finish school and so i actually finished um by distance and that was my you know my first reflection uh, back when i started thinking about high flex is it came from that direction originally and so we, uh, when that decision was made to, for me to go back to school, um, I finished my degree and still wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to get a little bit more into the, the practice of architecture. And so went to SAIT uh, in Calgary to do my diploma in architectural technology. And in that time, my wife uh, uh, got a promotion at a 
hotel in Calgary. And so we spent five years there. And, uh, I was, when I finished that, I went to work for a restaurant supply company and I got my first, uh, real respect for the, the connection that, uh, our industry has with the trades and how closely we work together. And it was, uh, through that experience, um, that I felt I had probably my greatest learning curve uh, was at that time. Then uh, went to work for a big architectural firm in Calgary for a couple of years. And my wife got a job in Banff. So we went back to Banff and I worked for a boutique architectural firm there for, uh, for a little while. And then um, the recession hit in 08. And so I got laid off, started my own business, worked for, for myself, worked for a big uh, engineering firm for a few years. And in that time, my wife uh, got an opportunity to teach here in Medicine Hat. And so we picked up and moved to Medicine Hat. I'm going to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 years ago now. And I kept doing my own business. And then it's, uh, after a couple of years, the, an opportunity came up. My wife knew some, some instructors in the architectural technologies area here at the college is actually called a CAD technical illustrator program at the time. And they were looking for an instructor to teach part-time to cover a sabbatical that an instructor had taken. And then uh, I followed another path of opportunity and took a part-time contract and then another part-time contract and then ended up uh, getting on full-time. And I've been full-time here at the college for about 10 years now. That's great. And so when, <clears throat> and so in the college, what, what do you teach other than uh, CAD? So the program is called built environment engineering technology. And so if you take a look at your environment, anything that's built by people is our built environment. So that's the, the, the buildings that we live and work in It's the products that we use every day. It's the infrastructure that connects us. And so my background being architectural technology, I've been teaching on the building side, but I also teach in some of the fundamental areas, uh, technical communication, uh, introduction to drafting. I taught for a while, introduction to AutoCAD. I taught for a while. I teach a sustainability and systems thinking course as well. So I've kind of touched on a whole bunch of different areas across the program, but I've always kind of kept my feet in the, the architectural side. Nice. Nice. So as a bit of a side note, um, there's been quite a, a, a turn from my perspective, just as a layperson out in the industry, watching things get built, but there's been, there seems to be a lot more wood involved in our building environment. Is that true? Or is that just something that, that I'm just seeing? Cause I'm a weirdo. No, absolutely. You're seeing that you're seeing a lot more, uh, wood, a lot more engineered wood products. Um, mass timber construction has become quite popular. And so why is that? Do you think? Um, it's, it's a few different things. I think one, just because of the, the natural beauty of the material is a, is a big thing. I think the, the technology of engineered wood has come a long way, uh, you know, over the, over the years. So you can do a lot more with it. Um, as we've, you know, the, the whole history of architecture and engineering is that the more you use something, more you try something, there's a trial and error process. There's pushing the limits. And so over the years, as the technologies advanced, people have pushed the limits of what you can do and you've learned how much more you can do through that process. So I think mm -hmm. it's just, 
it's a natural evolution, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was framing houses, this is a long time ago. I remember the advent of the Paralam when it came out and just how it changed the way we framed houses forever, right? Where you could span 20, 25, 30 feet with this huge Paralam beam that weighed, oh, it was massively heavy, but it would, it would support so much, so much weight that and I, I remember the time seeing advertisements for it on TV when people still watch TV where they would hang like a Volkswagen Beetle from this tiny little paralam and it, it, there was no deflection and it, and it held it perfectly. I know. And I've seen garage floors that are built out of engineered wood so that you can use the, uh, use that as more basement space below your garage. So home theaters being built underneath the garage. So you don't have to worry about that sound resonating through the rest of the house. Okay. That's cool. I like that. I like that. Good. So, um, going back to the hotel industry, like what, what were some of your best learning moments from the hotel industry? Oh my Lord, there's so many that and talk about a learning curve. <laughs> you know, Banff is quite the melting pot to begin with. There's people from all, not just all over the country, but all over the world. And so working at a, at a big hotel like the Banff Springs, you, you, you got to work with people from just every type of culture and every background. So I think that was my, especially when I started supervising after a while, is uh, learning to to work with the the cultural differences uh what was a big learning curve so was there quite a transient employment base like were they there for a season and gone and come back for a season or were they pretty stable uh you know a bit of both there is uh there was definitely the the stable base that we had a lot of people that have been around from one year to the next to the next and i still see people on facebook that are you know have been there since you know i was there God, I don't want to say like 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and then some, yes, very transient, uh, just, you know, wanting to come and get the experience for a summer. Nice. Nice. Very cool. So when you started teaching at, uh, at Medicine Hat College, what was going through your brain when you're like, okay, I'm in a classroom and I'm actually doing this. Oh my Lord. That was, <laughs> that was something else. Uh, almost it was fear in some ways and, and a lot of fun in some ways. It was fun because, you know, I, th I think somewhere in the multiverse, you know, there, I, I was a teacher to begin with. That was one of the things I thought of when I was younger. So I, I really enjoyed kind of getting into that environment. One of the things I liked when I was in hotels is doing training and stuff like that. Um, but scared at the same time, just cause it was so new and just, you know, you're literally jumping into the deep ends and, and just trying to figure it out, you know, all the swimming metaphors that go with that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Swimming with cement shoes um, and in the deep end, no snorkel, the whole deal. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, that good Lord, you know, I remember doing something like a building systems course and finding out that there was somebody who was a, you know, a journeyman plumber, a journeyman electrician oh, in, the, in the program yeah. who was yeah. reskilling. And I'm like, I'm supposed to know all this stuff that they, you know, they could teach this, uh, this unit of this course. And, you know, that, that, you know, back then I had the mentality of, you know, you're supposed to know anything, everything. And, you know, what if, you know, you're, there's not supposed to be a question you don't know how to answer, you know, that uh, that's changed for me over time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've had the same experience where I've been teaching a night school class 
<clears throat> and then I find out that there's, there's an electrical engineer from another country who's got, you know, all this, all this training. And here I am teaching basic electrical. And I'm like, you don't even need to be here. Like, just, just, just read these few things and I'll see you next week. <laughs> Cause, and you know, more often than not, they're very gracious and like, no, no, it's okay. And, and, and it'll be good. And, uh, and I remember there more than once, uh, that person and I would talk after class and I'd be like, so am I doing this right? Like, am I, am I, am I covering everything that I should be covering? And I mean, I knew the material, but I just wanted to make sure there weren't like glaring loopholes or something important that I was missing. And so I, I know the feeling when you find out that someone is in their classroom, that's got way more experience in something that you're supposed to be teaching. And you're like, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's just get through this. Yeah, and and then after, you know, after a period of time of just once I started getting more comfortable in the classroom and say, Hey, this is something I can actually leverage and embrace. And to say, you know, Hey, Joe, or whatever that guy's name was, say, you know, tell us about, you know, when you did this and then they go and, you know, they, they take off with the lesson for a while at that point. And, and that's gold when it happens, right? Because you're just sitting back and now you become like one of the students and you're just letting this, this person just go, right. That's just gold. Yeah. And then for everybody else in the classroom, they're starting to hear the relevance as well, that it's not just, you know, apparently there's something in, in a book and a course outline that says I'm supposed to know this stuff. There's, Hey, there's somebody who's been out there doing it they're, and they're talking about the value. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So talk a little bit about the mindset changes that, that occurred for you as you move through your teaching career. Um, so I'd say that was probably the one of them is, is, recognizing a certain point that, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have all the, the answers and that whole, you know, the, you're the subject matter experts. And yeah, I, I, I've got subject matter experience and said, I'll t- I'll put, I'll use a different E for it. And, you know, getting over that fear that, you know what, I, I'm not sure about that, but let's go and explore that. And we'll go and kind of take that tangent in the, in the class, right? You know what, you know, I'll, I'll look into that and we'll talk about that in next class. So that was one of the, the mindsets. Uh, I'd say the biggest one for me that kind of got me kind of going in the whole um, pedagogy direction a little bit I, before I even knew what that word was, it was, I remember at a certain point looking at a rubric that I made and marking some papers and, or drawings or whatever it was. I'm like, the grade that I'm coming up with just doesn't look like it reflects what is happening in the, the drawing. Like what I see here is not the same as what my rubric is coming up with. And so I, and that was my f- first dive down that way is what does an A actually look like? What does a C look like? And how do, how do I have a rubric that I, that can get there? How do I communicate that with students? And, and so that was the, probably the biggest one. And I've, that, that I delved into was what is acceptable? What is exceptional? What isn't, how do under, students understand how to get from one place to the next? How do I help them get there? And how do we, we kind of identify that ultimately with that grade that we need to come up with in the end? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So did you reach out to your LTC to help you with that? Or did you just walk through it on your own? Uh, a l- little bit with the LTC. I've got to say, uh, so at our college is called the uh, site. So the center for innovation and teaching excellence, I think is what the acronym stands for. So I knew them a little bit at the time, but I wasn't fully aware of what they did at first. I thought it was, they, you know, kind of helped to figure out how to use the LMS blackboard. Um, 
we got a pretty close group in our program. So I'd say it was the conversation more sort of happened as those water cooler and, you know, Friday lunchtime type conversations of, you know, you know, James, what are you doing right now? Like, how do you figure out what, you know, that C, what's satisfactory, what's the A exceptional kind of thing. And, and then it was more sort of in-house in our group. Oh, that's good. That's good. So let's talk a little bit about a high flex learning. Um, first of all, tell us, tell us your, your working definition of high flex learning, and then tell us a little bit about how you stumbled across it. Uh, so I, I don't know about a definition that I have per se, but I, I kind of gone with what does high flex stand for the, the hybrid flexible. It's about being flexible ultimately for, for our students, uh, how it came across it. It, it was the, the pandemic, right? Like the necessities, the mother of invention and trying to figure out how to do stuff. And, you know, we, we moved our program completely online, but getting towards the end of the semester when, you know, in our second year, when students are working on kind of those culminating projects, when they're just like, we'd really like to come into the class and just get help. But with the social distancing and all that kind of stuff, we couldn't have everybody, everybody in the room at the same time. So I was trying to figure out, well, how do we get students in and do this without doubling up on the effort at the same time? Because I, you know, I, I try to do everything that I can for, for our students to help them out, but there's also only so many hours in the day. Um, so that's kind of where it came from. And so I was in a meeting with Chad Flynn and I was talking to him and say, Hey, you know, back when I was at Carleton, I remember one of my classes that I was sitting in the lecture and there was a TV camera in the back of the room and Carleton university actually had a television channel at the time. So back in the nineties at a TV station. And so the lecture would be broadcast on, you know, at like Thursday at 2 p.m. or whatever. So you could go to the lecture live or you could watch it at home on Thursday at 2 p.m. or whatever time your that class was being broadcast. You could record it with on your VHS tape at home or you could get the VHS from the library. And I ended up finishing my degree that way is they they mailed the, the videotapes to me out in Banff. And I watched them. And so I talked to Chad about this and like, you know, th this was happening back in the nineties. Like there, there has to be an equivalent of that now. And he's like, yeah, it's called high flex. And so then I was just like squirrel and off I go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So they had their own channel, right? So like uh, UHF channel 341 or something crazy like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Tune into TV and have school on TV. That's hilarious. Or mailing out VHS. So even before the idea of Netflix emailing out DVDs, the school's mailing out VHS tapes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's how we finished my degree. My mom started uh, going back to university at the same time I did. And, and, and that's how she completed her journalism degree. And a good portion of those classes was done that way is the, she would pick up the videotapes and she'd watch them at night after she had finished, mm -hmm. you know, feeding and cleaning the kids and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh man. Can you imagine walking home with like eight or 10 VHS tapes in your arms? Just this big pile of, Oh man. Now we just, we don't even carry a memory stick. We just log on to YouTube and off we go. Right. Uh, I tried to explain it to my kids and they just didn't get it. <laughs> They're staring at you like, VHS, what is that? Beta, beta, VHS, VCRs. Please, they, they, they don't still even really you know, understand like live broadcast radio or television. They're like, how does that work? And 
<laughs> six year olds watching TV and the pause button won't work. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the pause button won't work. Oh, that's amazing. So when you uh, when you first heard about Hyflex and you went squirrel and and started running down that that trail, uh, what what did you what what surprised you the most uh, right off the bat about Hyflex? Um. Well, when I first started looking at it, it seemed complicated. Uh, but for the, you know, kind of the timing that I was in, I'm like, I don't have time for complicated and we don't have money for um, this stuff. So what surprised me the most was kind of from my perspective was how easy it was to do and how quickly the students got on board with it as well. So talk to me a little bit about the setup. So when I, when I envision high flex learning, I envision like multiple cameras, multiple TVs, you know, you have a computer screen, you're, you're trying to bounce back and forth between live and, and virtual. Like, am I even closer or what's going on there? Yeah. I, that's sort of it. Uh, one of the things I would caution people about is high flex is that, the first conversation is always the technology. How are you doing it? And I would circle back and say, what are you trying to do first? Um, and, you know, what are you trying to uh, do in your class? What are you teaching? How do you envision teaching it? And then figure out what technology to use to do it. It's, you know, the, they're, they're all tools, right? So, and there's a hundred different tools in your toolbox. And yeah, you can probably use a crescent wrench to drive a nail if you have to, but it's not the best tool to do it. So uh, I'd circle back to what are you trying to do first? Uh, in our classrooms, we're fortunate, like we're a technology program. So every student's in front of a computer to begin with. And we have dual projection in our classrooms already. So we're very fortunate that we have a, a good setup that way already. Um, as we were teaching on online, started to realize that, hey, you know, with you know, Teams or Zoom or whatever, you can flip between cameras. Like, so I remember having, you know, a, a camera propped up on my desk. And I think every teacher in the world can, you know, had something jury rigged on their desk with the camera pointing down. To, right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw all kinds of stuff. Kids were building contraption at Legos for their parents to use. And uh, so we already knew that, you know, just in Teams or in Zoom, you could flip between cameras. Uh, so there we, we had we had that bit of infrastructure in place already. So then it was just, Hey, IT department, can you install, you know, teams or whatever onto the students' computers in the classrooms too. And then it was like, all right, I had a, I had a couple of webcams that I pilfered from, uh, from my home office and I brought into school and my wife had a tripod that she wasn't using. So I grabbed that and I put a tripod up in the classroom pointing at the, the whiteboard at the front of the room. And they put another camera on the computer monitor. So it's just kind of like you and I on Zoom right now. And, and that's how it, how it started. And the, the camera was really just, it was another point of eye contact, right? So when you're talking in front of the class and you're, you know, you're looking at all your different students, you just had to, okay, that camera is also somewhere to make eye contact with, to, to engage with those people online. So it, it started about as grassroots as it can get, I guess, of a couple of webcams and, and a tripod on, on teams. Right. 
So how much, how much did the high flex set up? How much did it change the way you deliver? Like, Cause I know you got, you got to deliver the same content that you did a month ago or a year ago. So you know, I get that, but how did it change the way you deliver outside of the obvious that there's the virtual side to it? Um, it's being cognizant of those three different modes of delivery that you've got the asynchronous, the synchronous and the, the, the face to face and being conscious of those three modes at the same time. So when we first started doing it, so for those last few weeks of the, the winter semester last year, um, we had already been teaching online for a while. So we kind of been pre-making some stuff that students did on their, on their own homes. So we'd, we'd kind of massaged out a lot of that stuff already. And, and so it was a pr- pretty natural transition. The, the students are all pretty tech savvy and used to it by then. Uh, but it was still pretty ad hoc. Uh, so this year, you know, I spent a some more time reading up and I took some classes through uh, Conestoga college in Ontario. And it's about circling back to the objectives again. What are you trying to, to teach and why are you trying to teach it? And then what are you doing to, to, to teach that? So what are the, what are the lessons? What are the exercises you're doing? And there, there's more than one way to do it. And so maybe it was changing up the way that uh, we did things in some lessons, perhaps. So when you say that there's more, more than one way to do it, like, what, what do you mean by that? Um, so for, you know, the, the one that the go to for, for a lot of people, the discussion board, right? So in my um, sustainability class, it's a lot of just, it's, it's just talking, it's talking about, you know, definition of sustainability. What do you think about biomimicry and, and all that kind of stuff? And so it was putting that out there on discussion boards as well. So, Hey, you guys that were face-to-face or synchronous online, you know, post a summary of that onto, onto a discussion board and engage in some of that discussion outside of class time as well. So we don't need to do, you know, that's often me driving things in that scenario. So, and once you kind of push it into, into their realm through something like a discussion board, then it's them driving it a bit more. Uh, students that are in the, in our second year, you know, they, they get behind that a little bit more than somebody who's just coming into their first semester in their first year. It's a bit foreign and, you know, so I did my master's through uh, Royal Roads. And so on those discussion boards, it was always, it has to be at least three, you know, three posts and three responses of a minimum of a hundred words each and stuff like that. And I'm not super keen on that. I liked it to be a little bit more fluid, but I'm seeing that. Okay. So for, you know, I've discovered in these um, first few weeks, I actually do need to put some of that structure in place for, for those guys that aren't used to it. So let's develop those habits by saying, yes, you do need to do those three posts of a hundred words each and support it with a quote out of the readings and just to get them used to that. So that would be one thing I would say is just how to take that dialogue into the, that digital realm. Interesting. I'm a Royal Roads grad too. So when you talk about your masters and your experience with that, it, it brings back so many memories of, yeah, having to, having to, engage with people. So when you're, when you're, when you're running your class, 
I'm envisioning you have some students in front of you face-to-face, you have some students online and you can see them in a monitor. Are, Are you recording the session too, so that you can provide it to them later on as a recording, or are you just running it live and when class is over, it's over? I'm recording as well. Yes. So they can, so they can have it to run back to, but also any students that were asynchronous, they can still see and hear what was going on in, in that classroom setting as well. Are you giving students agency to choose how they want to engage with the material, whether it's face-to-face online or asynchronously or sorry. Syn- yeah. So asynchronously. Yes. Yeah, so they've been told from the, from the outset that they have the choice they can from one day to the next, they can decide if they're going to be asynchronous, synchronous, or face-to-face in the classroom. And oh, especially over the, the last week and everything that's been happening with the COVID restrictions over the last week, that's been definitely taken advantage of. And from one day to the next, they can see the difference of who's online, who's not, who's in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Was that How much of an adjustment was that for you? Because, I mean, obviously being in front of a class, we're used to seeing that, but how is, how has that adjustment made you feel? I'm kind of an all in person. So I, I just jumped in with it. Uh, it's, you definitely have to have a different mindset a little bit when you're, when you're doing it. Cause you know, one of the things I've noticed is just that fluidity of moving around the classroom. I like to walk around the room and you know, be in different places. And it's not even because I'm using a whiteboard versus something else. I just wander around the room. And so I've had to be a bit more conscious of that of, okay, so if I'm wandering around, am I moving out of frame from the, from the camera, for example. And so one of the comments that came from students last year is, you know, I just had those two cameras set up of, you know, one just at the, you know, the instructor's computer at the front of the room and one pointing towards the whiteboard. But if I was going around the room, you know, somebody would have a question about something that's happening on their computer screen or, you know, looking at something in their book. Well, the students that are online can't see that. So one of the, some feedback from the students that were online was saying, Hey, any chance you could get another camera and point it into the room so that we can see what's going on at those times. So they, yeah, excellent. And thank you guys for jumping in, telling us what's going to make this work for you. Yeah. So they're not, so then you have to be a a bit of your own producer flipping between cameras at the right time and stuff. So that, (laughs) that just takes getting familiar with it. (laughs) So they're not, they're not really interested in in seeing how you're integrating with that one student in the classroom. Like they don't want to see what's on the screen so much. They just want to know where you are in relationship to the room so that they can track with you. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's just, that awareness and seeing just that there's something happening, right? Cause otherwise if I'm out of frame, then what's on their computer screen, it's the wall. And so they might be, they might hear my voice talking to somebody, but there's no context with it. So I think it's the context that they like to get with it and just seeing something happening on your screen, right? If there's something happening on your screen, then you're going to pay more attention. If it's just a wall, then you're going to lose them. Yeah. No kidding. So getting a little nitty gritty now, when, when you're talking about all this hardware, like you have three cameras now, right? Uh, did you have to do anything different with, with software and, and your computer and hardware? Uh, no. So in, you know, in, we use teams, but whether it's teams or zoom or whatever, you have the ability to flip between cameras. So we actually didn't do anything new as far as software goes. We just use what's natively there. 
it, to be able to flip between cameras. The, the only other hardware I would say was um, getting a wireless lapel microphone so they could have, you weren't chained to the uh, computer station. Right. Right. Okay. Huh. Oh, I got so many ideas running around in my head right now. It's not even funny. And then after so, that, like I said, it's about what are you doing and what technology do you need to do it? So we work with drawings all the time. So, you know, one of the things that, uh, in Chad introduced me to was the Wacom pen display. So it was actually kind of helpful to put a Wacom pen display at the instructor station because people could see what's happening on that much more clearly than the camera pointed at the whiteboard. And so, yeah, it's knowing what's happening with the technology and what it's capable of. And being willing to try it out and being willing to fail a little bit because you're not going to know everything, right? And you're going to make some mistakes as you go along. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, in our program, we work with technology all the time and our students learn that very quickly is that the tech is not always going to work 100%. And that that's part of life. And so how do we, how do we either troubleshoot or find the workarounds? And they learn that, you know, it's probably once a week that there's something that, you know, this tool in AutoCAD's not working right. Or, you know, my, my mouse isn't, you know, tracking properly or something. Right. So our students have been pretty good about, you know, working with us through some of those learning curves. Nice. Do, <clears throat> do you do any post-production with the recording or do you just like press record off you go stop? and then load it up? Very seldom have I done any post-production. It's more so if I know like if I came into the class, you know, five or 10 minutes early or forgot to stop recording and I know that there's, you know, 10 minutes of dead air that I might do some post-production to clip out some of that. But otherwise, it's for me, it's just a time thing that I, I don't, my, my skill set in the production is pretty minimal. And there's that word uh, authenticity as well that, you know, everything that's happening in the classroom, you, you don't get to edit that. Right. So if you stumble, you make a mistake, whatever it happens to be, you mispronounce something, you do the math wrong, like all that happens in the classroom. And so, so why edit that out for people that are watching afterwards? I think it's more the things that's going to impact, you know, there's 10 minutes of dead air. You're losing me that I'll edit out, but all that other stuff, that's just, that's what the classroom looks like. It's messy sometimes. Yeah, no kidding. Besides, if someone's there, like if they're live or even even virtually live and you've recorded it and then they come back and watch the recording and the recording is different from the session that they were just in, that would be weird. Like they'd be like, hey, why did you cut that out? That'd be, that'd be, and then they probably wonder what else you're cutting out. That's very cool. So is how is how is this system contributing to the to the learner in their journey through your course because one of the things that i keep bumping into is well if students are given the agency to choose whether they're there in person virtually or asynchronously what's stopping them from doing the whole class asynchronously right so there's that there's that question and how is this delivery model affecting their learning of the material as you go through the course. So in the first part, there's nothing stopping them from going asynchronously. And that's part of our commitment is that you are still going to 
learn all those kind of those outcomes and objectives that we have that those things that you, skills that you need to have that knowledge you need to have we we've committed that you will have that those skills and that knowledge regardless of which way you choose to participate um so that's incumbent on us as the instructors to help make sure that happens but there's also a commitment from the students to make sure that happens as well and that's one of the things we talk about is that when you make that decision to be synchronous or in the classroom kind of you've set that time aside to be present and so one of the things we talk about if you're going to be online asynchronously you still need to be present you still need to set that time aside that if you know if this class is four hours a week you still need to be planning on that four hours somehow to commit to do that um, you know, I can give a hundred percent and if a student gives zero, they're not going to learn what they need to learn or what I'm hoping they will. If they give a hundred percent and I give nothing, it's still going to be the same. It's a two way street. We, we both need to give as close to a hundred as we can for, for it to work. Yeah, no kidding. And so th that's going to take a bit of a mind shift too, for some instructors as well. Right. Because when the one thing we do when we give students agency is we give up control. Yes. And, you know, teaching online, teaching high flex or face to face for that matter of uh, that, it, it takes the, the right instructor for the right mode of de uh, delivery as well. And if as an instructor, you're not committed to that mode of delivery that you would prefer to be doing something else than what you are doing, you know, is it going to be the same experience for you or for the, or, or for the students? So, you know, there, there's a commitment to involved for sure. Right. How's the rest of the department responded to the high flex? Are they doing it too, or is it just yourself and they're kind of watching how it unfolds? No. So the, so last winter, it was just me. That was kind of my proof of concept, if you will, I guess, to, to try it out and help the students out. But, you know, by the end of last winter semester, getting into the spring, there's a few things going on that, you know, one of the instructors in our program, Elio Colosso, had been saying for years that we need to start figuring out how to deliver online. It's the way of the future. People want this. And all of us are like, yep, absolutely. You're right. And we'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. And so COVID pushed us into a spot where we had to figure it out. So, you know, there's a bit of that, there's a bit of, well, you know, what's the fall really going to look like? Like we, you know, COVID was still in the air, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so there is, we should be looking at online anyway, we need to be prepared to be flexible if restrictions happen. And, and we're also looking at kind of enrollment and accessibility to the program anyway, how can we cast a broader net? Um, without increasing the number of sections because we didn't want that, um, that cost as well. And so all those pieces came to, came together and we talked about it as a group and we made a commitment as a group to actually we're offering the, with the exception of it, say one class, two classes, the whole program is being offered high flex. And so all the instructors have their own little twists and bents that they're, they're taking as they address it for the different material that teach and the different contents, but we've all gone that direction with the exception of two classes. So do you guys, do you guys have, um, well, 
I may even be answering my own question, but because you're in the same department, it, it would almost be a natural step to have a, you know, a little micro community of practice as, as all of you are doing this high flex. And like you just said, doing some of it differently, I'm sure that there's going to be some tips and tricks and things that are learned that are passed on amongst the different people in your department. Yeah. And we've got a, we've always had a really close group that, um, thing I mentioned already, like we get together at lunch on Fridays, almost all the time, you know, the weeks go by that we don't, but we get together, whether there's an agenda or not, just to what's been going on this week and, and who knows where the conversation's going to go. And so, yeah, so there's those conversations that, that happen with us all the time. We've got our WhatsApp group that, you know, we're messaging on and it's even down to, you know, I'll get a, a message show up, uh, you know, from an instructor saying, Hey, you know, a, a microphone's not working and, and I don't know what to do. And so I'll, you know, run over to the lab and, you know, help them, you know, figure out what's not going on right with the microphone or whatever. So it, it's, we, we've got a pretty great working relationship that it's that community. It, it isn't even, it just is, it, it just is with us. <laughs> it just is. I like that. I like that. So now that you've done it for a while, uh, what would you do differently if you had to start over, but you've got this knowledge now? Um, for me, time is always a, a thing. Uh, I would say if I, if I had the time, if I made the time to, um, try to preload more, I would say, uh, of that asynchronous type, uh, type stuff. Um, I'd say that's a bit of, that would be the first thing is just that, that time commit and, and time is there for, for teachers all the always, right. You know, time to time to mark and, and all that stuff. So the biggest thing I think is, is time. Yeah. Have you found your marking load increase because of this type of delivery? No, no, it, it hasn't. And the, the way that students are engaging with the material might be a, a little bit different from one student to the next, but overall I've tried to do things such as that the assessment that we're doing is everybody still engaging in the same assessment activities. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Good. Well, Peter, this has been fantastic. I've, I've learned quite a lot. I've got a few more questions for you. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, we'll circle around again in the future to see how this is working out for you as you learn more and, and walk down this path. Um, Peter, what, what books have you read recently that, that have made an impact on you could be high flex could not be. It's up to you. Uh, yeah. So one, uh, and I'm going to be terrible here that I can't remember the names exactly, but, uh, Brian Beatty, um, who's kind of the, the grandfather of high flex has a, an OER book, um, about high flex that uh, I've been reading. It's been good. Um, honestly for my own personal headspace is getting to disconnect a bit. And so actually reading, uh, some Hieronymus Bosch detective novels <laughs> has been good for me lately. <laughs> nice. Nice. A little escapism. I like it. Beautiful. Um, what podcasts are you listening to that you'd recommend? So I'm only just kind of in the, you know, since the last winter, I guess, gotten into podcasts. And to be honest, it was um, Vicky Roy and Chad Flynn that put me on to Praxis Pedagogy. So that, that's where things started for me. 
And then um, as I started to hear about high flex, then it was um, teaching in higher ed and uh, cult of pedagogy that I started listening to after hearing just Google searching and finding some podcasts that they had done on the topic. And, and so I've been, those are the podcasts that I've been listening to. Nice. When, when this podcast grows up, I hope it's like teaching in higher ed or cult of pedagogy. I listen, <clears throat> I listen to those too. I really like cult of pedagogy because it just seems so practical, right? Where it's just, here's the thing and here's a bunch of worksheets that I've done and here's what I think you should do with them. I just, I just love her approach. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's one of those things that I, I get just in the school that I'm in, I'm in the school of trades and technology and it's that trades mentality that I really like. That's in that practice thing that you do and the, and the cult of pedagogy as well. It's just like, yeah, I, I know there's all these grand ideas and grand topics out there, but right now I just, here's the thing that I need to work on. How yeah. do I do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know there's, I know there's a specific tool out there, but I just need some duct tape right now. Like I, I just really need a good piece of duct tape. <laughs> exactly. Very good. Very good. All right, Peter, as we, uh, as we round up uh, our time together again, thank you so much for, for being with us and uh, for sharing your, your knowledge and your experiences and your journey. My last question for you uh, as we, uh, say goodbye is this, uh, it's a fill in the blank question, my contribution. So Peter, your contribution over the next three to four months will be. Oh my Lord. Um, you, you did tell me this was coming and I had my brain hasn't circled around it very well. I've, in the next four to five months, I'm going to be starting a new role at the college as the, um, chair for trades and technology. So I, you know, one of the things that I'm going to have to do uh, and it, the foundations are there already, but getting those relationships with the, on the trade side of the house, getting a, a better understanding of how that whole trades world works. Uh, I, I'm not super keen on that separation of the trades and the academics. Unfortunately it is there still. And so I, I need to, I've got a toe over the, into that world and I need to step over into that, that world a little bit more and, and, and get a better understanding of, of that trades world and how that works. And that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. That's going to be cool. And, uh, you know, you've got a pretty good Dean over there at uh, medicine hat college and trades and technology. So I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll have lots of insights and, uh, ideas for you to, to how to bridge that gap. Cause you're right. There is a, there is a gap between the two groups. And, um, I know, I know people like Chad and, and even yourself, as you move into that role and there's other people in the provinces of British Columbia and Alberta that are working hard at bridging that gap. And, um, so all the best to you as you move into that position. And, uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate, uh, you sharing your journey and, and your foray into high flex. You've answered some questions for me that have actually dispelled a little bit of fear of moving into that realm. And, uh, so I will go on record as to say, I'm, I'm going to try doing some high flex in my own night school class here coming up. And, uh, we'll, maybe we'll circle back and, and, share some more stories about what, what worked and what didn't work. Well, you know what? It would be great to, cause I'm interested in having the same conversation in, you know, six or eight months from now, after we've gone through a couple of semesters and have that conversation with some students too. Uh, that, that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to in the, the coming weeks and coming months is getting that feedback from the students. How, 
how is it working for you and and what can we do that's a really good point i love that just writing that down all right people you heard it here first six to eight months from now we're going to circle back and we'll bring some students with us and uh, maybe we'll need to buckle up because uh you know it can go crazy sideways in a hurry with some <laughs> students online um but that's good that's really good thanks again peter and uh wish you all the best as you move into your new position as chair of trades and technology great thanks very much jim i love this 